The Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Neil Crespin, founder of MCM Creative Group. MCM is a creative agency specializing in communication through live events, film, digital, and other media. As becomes apparent during the course of this podcast, I've known Neil for over 10 years, over which time I've seen a transformation in his business, but more dramatically, his own approach. Like many of us in business, there have been many highs and lows during the course of that time since he founded MCM. But he has learned some great lessons along the way and shares just some of them with us during the course of this conversation. On this podcast, Neil talks about the economics of creative thinking. Creative people and money don't always go together. That's why having somebody who isn't creative running your business is the best possible thing you could have for a creative business. Says that letting go of your ego is key to successful recruitment. Never ever be afraid of recruiting people better than you. Forget the ego. Relish, revel in them being better at it than you are and actually sit back and say, that's progress. And reveals where he gets his creative energy from after years in the industry. I think the energy comes for me from projects. I thrive on project by project work. So if somebody gives me a task to do and I can get a clear beginning, middle and end, boom, I'm on it. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, Neil, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me on the program. I'm really looking forward, Neil, to our conversation and having you as a guest. And I thought I'd just kick off really simply with the question, do you think you're always destined to be a business owner? Uh, in my case, absolutely not. Well, that's pretty definitive, Neil. Um, I suppose I'd therefore go on and say, what were those aspirations in the early part of your life? Yeah, I think very much for me, it was it was all around the media. So I was uh, my first uh, stab at a career, um, or rather, perhaps a series of jobs was uh, was in radio. So on the south coast where I grew up, I was determined to be uh, back in the eighties a DJ. Um, did that? Moved up to London and worked uh, for a speech radio station in London, uh, LBC. Trained as a journalist and really thought that that was my sort of ongoing destiny, and that probably I. <laughs> at the age now of 55, I'd be playing uh, middle-of-the-road hits on some radio station somewhere in the world uh, and doing the breakfast show somewhere. So that's where I probably thought that I would uh, that I would end up. So what happened then, Neil? That's quite a dramatic shift from living a life as a DJ to doing what you do now and being a business owner. Yeah, I, I, I fell out of love with the radio industry. Uh, it went through a huge change in, in the early 90s where 
uh, a proliferation of radio stations really sort of shot up overnight and the standards and the talent and the quality of radio i think in the uk suffered for really the service of providing more stations and now uh, to, to those listeners who will remember back in in the 80s and the 90s you had a local radio station it really was almost part of the fabric of your city town or, or county and, and and that made radio very very personal very very close, very uh, informative. And now I think you've probably got four or five radio stations in in a city, uh, in a town, and, and there just isn't the, the listenership and the talent and quality of talent on air to, to go around. So I kind of fell out of love with, with, with radio and just got one of those kind of sliding doors moments where somebody offered me a role in a new fundamentally sort of PR marketing agency that they'd set up having been a journalist with me at LBC. And he said, look, you know, I'm turning a bit sort of poacher turn gamekeeper. I'm going to do PR, work for a few good clients, got them lined up. Do you want to come along and have a go? So that was really the transition. And I, I kind of did that um, and absolutely hated it. So Neil, what did you hate about it? And it seems, you know, to me, like yeah. going from being a DJ, working in kind of the media sector to going to work and undertaking PR and being part of a PR agency seems like a natural, normal uh, transition. Yeah, yeah, I, I made that mistake as well. So uh, I, I thought so. But um, um, I, I think what, what, what I learned in my career in radio, whether it was as a DJ or as a sort of producer uh, at LBC, was that effectively you're telling a story, but you're telling a story either in 30 seconds if you're reading a piece on the news or you're telling a story in three minutes if you're doing a little feature um, or you're telling a story in an hour if you're doing a phone-in. But what you're doing is really contributing or creating a a, a daily project. And, and in my case, at LBC, it was The Breakfast Show or The Mid-Morning Show with Michael Parkinson or something like that. But it was a very clear three-hour strip of activity. So we'd start at 9, we'd finish at 12, we'd debrief, we'd plan the next day. And you'd get on and deliver and you do that Monday to Friday. So it's really sort of almost a series of, uh, of daily projects. When I sort of transitioned into the sort of the PR industry, we were working for some quite cool clients. Our first client was Sony PlayStation. Which, so we did the launch of Sony PlayStation back in 1994. It was great. But it was all very kind of long lead uh, times. It was I, I describe it as being a period of my life where I couldn't even get in the tunnel, let alone see light at the end of it. And, 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 and that really just epitomized is the fact that it was just not project driven it was all sort of fairly long and and, and slightly ambiguous um targets and goals um that pr has uh, to deliver in that sector i mean there are some great pr agencies i've got some great friends in pr i admire what they do but it just wasn't for me in terms of my psyche of how i'd grown up and learned my craft of delivering a project on a daily basis what it did provide, thankfully, was the springboard to, I guess, still what I'm doing today, which was that some of those clients like Sony and um, trying to think who else we, we had on, on the books at that time, but they would come to us as part of our PR projects, plans and say, oh, uh, actually, um, we need a video creating, we need a launch video, or oh, we, need a, we need a little event doing or a stunt doing or whatever. And I'd sort of think, ah, little project that I can see through from a beginning, middle and end, I can get in the tunnel and see the light at the end of it. So I basically sort of um, swept up all of that additional work that came into the agency rather than looking to outsource it. And I thought, how hard can it be to make a video? You know, I've made radio programs for the last 10, 12 years. It can't be too different. You're telling a story. So started doing film, 
started doing some live events for those clients. And it wasn't long before, so this is sort of mid-90s now, it wasn't long before I had a portfolio of clients who were sort of coming back to me through the agency at that point, obviously, for more repeat work. And and, and that was how the very, very sort of nucleus of where we are today with the, the MCM brand uh, was was formed from those clients that we were doing PR work for, but wanted a little bit of extra project work in in a field that was more appropriate for my skills. So Neil, it was definitely a case for you of seeing an opportunity, and that came from the diversification that was taking place within that business that you were in. That meant an opportunity presented itself, and I have to say, I quite often see that being the case. And it's particularly for those individuals that aren't always destined or determined to run their own business. Sometimes it is just an opportunity presents itself that means that they become that business owner and they follow that natural course that life presents itself with. So did you become a shareholder of that business? What happened next? Yeah, I was a I was a um a director. I was one of the first directors of the PR business um and had a had a couple of shares in it, never made any money out of it. But what we what we had effectively was the PR side grew uh under the guy who owned it, a guy called Brian McLaurin, learned a lot from him to be fair. And um he grew that PR business into one of the UK's leading uh agencies, sold it a couple of times, did very well out of it after uh, well after I moved on. But he very he was very focused on bottom line and and margin and in PR of course there there are a lot of on costs it's it's very much a people business you're charging hourly rates for for people and and so his margin was was great um, my margin was in the gutter by comparison because obviously I was spending a lot of money on resource so cameramen editors uh, directors scriptwriters graphics uh, talent. The same on on live events. You spend a lot of money uh, in terms of kit and lighting and sound and set and staging and venues. So the margins that he was seeing from my part of the business didn't match anywhere near, and neither should they have done, to be fair, but um, they didn't match anywhere near what he was performing. Uh, So it it, it came to a stage uh, in in late 2000 where he disguised as a conversation about how much space I was taking up in the the agency by then. Uh, And I think there were sort of four of us by then i had a full-time editor and a full-time cameraman and a a full-time sort of project manager so there were sort of four of us uh on on the books as it were of the the pr agency but under the the mcm brand already and under the the thinly veiled disguise of a conversation around space allocation he said that he was planning to buy another agency needed four or five spaces desk spaces that we were currently occupying and was it time for 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 us to um to to move out and i naively thought he meant you know to find some of our own office space but actually i think he was kind of giving me the the opportunity to uh, to, to 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 sever ties which is what we did pretty amicably really and um um i had the opportunity to um really hit the ground running uh, almost on sort of January the 30th, I was still working for the group. And on February the 1st, I was working for myself. And obviously, we had some client carryover because we were working on projects that obviously had quite a long gestation period. So that I knew there was work coming in. Um, and in 2001, we, we we did the deal, paid him some goodwill, had to borrow some money to do that. That was the first time I'd ever borrowed money apart from obviously 
buying a house. So uh, fortunately, one of my very good clients who sort of became a bit of a, a client friend, that's not the same as a friend friend, but a client friend. And I think most people in business will recognize that phrase. And he he had sold part of his business, uh, a guy called David Richards, um, runs a business called ProDrive, which most people who travel up the M40 will recognize. And um, David was running the World Rally Championship with Subaru, and we were doing a lot of work for him. I'd met him socially, and um, he'd become a, a, a great client. He went on to work in Formula One and took me with him to, to work for a few Formula One teams over the, uh, the ensuing years. But he was the only person I knew who had £30 million in his, in his, his bank account, I and mean, he just sold part of his business. So I went cap in hand to him and, and, and naively sort of said, would he lend me? you know, hundred grand or whatever it was. And he said, well, yeah, I'm not going to lend it to you as a friend though, because that's a disaster. So uh, we'll do it as a proper business proposition. He lent me the money. He he bought some equity in the business with that as well. So he was a shareholder for a while, which was great because he had a vested interest in channeling some of the work that um, he had uh, on the books through his businesses, um, through me. And uh, the deal was, the deal was done. And as I say, literally uh, working for the group on one day, and then we came back in on the Monday and we were working um, for ourselves. And, and it was, uh, I'm trying to think of a superlative really to describe it. Well, I think it was probably quite underwhelming. Um, I, I expected to sort of walk in and to feel very different, but of course, um, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's the same, but different, I guess, when you, when you've, when you've got it yourself. So did you actually have an initial ambition for the business? What was the drive to succeed? What was good going to look like for you, Neil? Yeah, I certainly felt that the shackles were off once we weren't part of the group. And, and, and I'm not saying that with any disrespect to the way that Brian and I sort of ended up in terms of managing our businesses together. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of respect and, and, and value the, the, the leg up, if you like, that he gave me. But I, I do feel that the last year that we were together under the same roof was probably not the best year of, of business for me personally, because I just felt under a lot of scrutiny to, to, to perform better and then maybe that's not a that's not a bad thing but i don't think we had the right tools and and acumen to um to do that so i think it was i, I think it was a case of kind of when we sort of set up the business uh mcm as it's known now so 2001 february 2001 i think really our our goal and ambition was just to i say we it was just it was just me really in terms of the ownership structure and directorship so the other the other the other People were just sort of employees at that level. I didn't, I didn't have a, a management team with me. Uh, um, and I think it was just this momentum that carried us through. I don't think there was a strategy. I know there wasn't a strategy. There was just momentum. And I think that made it very easy. And if I had my time again, I, I probably wouldn't do it any differently. I think starting from scratch to open a door, sit down at your new desk and say, right, okay, where's the business coming from? Um, I think would be challenging. So I, I, I had it easy, um, no doubt about that. But you clearly had a passion and a belief in what you were doing, Neil, and you clearly wanted to deliver something of real quality that fulfilled your clients' needs. And I think that fundamentally is just some of the real founding stones and basics that make a great business. Would you agree? Yeah, of course. And 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 I'm I'm probably belittling the visions that I had uh, a little bit clouded with kind of lack of memory and 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 also just a sheer determination to pay the bills that month. You know, when you start, um, even with a headcount of four, you know, there's still a significant salary bill at the end of the month, and 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 that's your focus. So I think 
the difference was that I just felt I had more control. I could say yes and no to things. Not that we ever said no to anything. I don't remember, but, um, uh, you know, and, 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 and more control around what I spent, how I spent it. And, and that, and that was, that was invigorating. And, and, and I think that gave me the passion and uh, that was already there, but I think it reignited it. I think I'd got probably a bit stale, uh, working for the group. It was fairly safe. I didn't have to worry about cash flow. We were part of a, a, a far bigger, far more successful, um, business that have plenty of money in the bank. So I think uh, that strategy of of now you're on your own does make you sort of pull up your um pull up by your bootstraps and and, and crack on. But there must've been a whole new skill set that you had to learn. You've just talked about one aspect being managing cash flows, something that you had not had to do before. What were the challenges you faced and what were the new skill sets that you needed to learn and develop in those really early years from 2001 onwards? Yeah, all those things you just mentioned. So managing cash flow. So that was that was the biggest, to be honest. I had some great relationships with some great clients. So I've mentioned David Richards. Uh, there were there were half a dozen David Richards out in other businesses who were very supportive. Said, "Yep, we'll give you the work. We'll make it easy for you. Just come in and see us. We'll sign it off, uh, et cetera, et cetera." This is obviously pre the recession in two thousand eight, which changed everything. But it w- it was fairly easy to to do business back then. So I could ring up people in big businesses that I was working with and say, oh, is there any chance you can get us a check next week? You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and, and we made that happen. But I, I think that was an early lesson that I would say surrounding yourself with the right people rather than just the, the, the people that can, that are convenient uh, is probably a better way to do it. I did the convenient route. So I went with friends of friends to be my accountant, my bookkeeper. Um, I was going with friends of friends for staff and suppliers and actually that's not always the best because i think at that stage you do need perhaps some people who will challenge you i think it's it's easy to ride in as the owner of a new business and think you're doing it all right but actually to have some people around you who say "Mm, hang on a minute and 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 you'll only get that from really good strong working relationships with your advisors and and i i would think perhaps at the beginning the outset we didn't have that didn't really cost us anything we 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 didn't slip up along the way but i think we could have been better uh, than we were in those first sort of informative years simply because i was probably playing at it and not focusing on those things that you mentioned like cash flow and margin and and, and things like that i was just doing the basics i was making sure at the end of the month um, we had enough money to pay the salaries the rent and all of those sort of things um, and, the, and the rest would would happen and to be fair it did there was one month where it got a bit sticky and i remember having to sell a car to pay the wages but uh, i think most entrepreneurs will recognize that story I can emphasize with that. We've all been there, Neil, mm. at some point, haven't we? That early point, particularly in a business, facing that challenge of just how am I going to meet the payroll? How am I going to meet those salaries? That weight of responsibility resting really heavily on your shoulders and perhaps together with the need to realize some value from an asset personally to inject funds into the business. But on the other hand, it must have been a great fun time with lots of passion and energy in the business. And I think most business owners will say that those early years in their business journey are extremely challenging, but immensely fun and look back really fondly upon them. Probably because, like most of us, we put on a pair of rose tinted glasses, but you do tend to look back and think they were great times and great days. So obviously you had six to seven years of success and growth, and then you've mentioned it already, and we're in challenging times now, but... For you, 2008, 2009, 
came along and your world changed dramatically, didn't it, Neil? Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Those years from 2001, 2008, nine were absolutely stellar. I mean, we were having a, a, a fantastic time, our sector, our industry. So for those that don't know, the uh, the business was predominantly driving then live events, conferences, road shows, working for people like Dixons and Curry's and HSBC and RBS and, and a couple of the Formula One teams. I was flying all over the world. We were doing events and conferences in, in Dubai. We were in, 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 in the States. It was, it was, it was fantastic. And margins weren't great, but, but the revenue was, was there and, and we did very well out of it. And then, yeah, of course, uh, the recession um, came along 2008, 2009. We were very exposed into that. One of our biggest clients was, I've just mentioned them, was RBS. And I'd always thought, you know, there's an adage, isn't there, in business not to spread yourself too thickly around one client. And, and, and we were quite reliant financially on RBS, but we were working for probably five or six different divisions of the bank. So I'd always thought that I'd risk protected that because I thought if we fundamentally if we screw up for one part of the bank, then probably the other part of the bank might not get to hear about it and we'll probably be okay. Nobody saw, not even RBS themselves saw what was going to happen to RBS, and um, it literally overnight was just a it was just a catastrophe for us. So we were owed probably half a million pounds by them, and on a turnover of, of of three million by then, we had one and a half million pounds worth of pipeline with them. And I literally just got six phone calls in a row from six of the main people that we were dealing with, saying, "You'll read about it tomorrow," but. I'm packing up my desk. We ain't going to be doing that event in June. We aren't going to be doing that event in December. Really sorry, but this is the end of the road. And for us, that was that was huge. And obviously, it then triggered all of the other clients that we were working for to take stock of what they were doing. So our industry um, yeah, capitulated really um, overnight. And as you'll re recall, people stopped doing the very thing that we made our money uh, selling to them. And, and it was it was desperate times. And yes, it was very much a cliff edge of having a business that was thriving and succeeding and overnight, nothing. So as a business owner who's passionate and believes in what they're doing, how do you actually cope with that? Yeah, well, I, I have to say, I think we did cope quite well for what I would call back then quite a naive business. I, I think I really looked after the staff. I thought eventually i i guess we're going to have to recalibrate i think we were up to about 20 people at that at that at that stage turning over sort of 3 3 and a half million i guess and we didn't really have any systems and processes we didn't we weren't doing reviews i couldn't tell you when one person started another person joined how long they'd been with me or anything it was all a bit chaotic but i think what we were looking at was forcibly looking at phase 2 of our business um and, and and I think it was lucky that we were forced to do that. Uh, the recession in two thousand made it very two thousand eight made it very clear that the way that I'd run the business pretty much single handed for eight years wasn't going to be the right way forward post the recession. The whole dynamics of engagement was going to shift from what I've talked about, you know, my mates in marketing roles, you know, to 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 having to deal with procurement teams, et cetera, et cetera. So actually the first thing I did, which is what brought us together, Warren, some, you know, maybe around sort of 14, 15 years ago was actually uh, luckily before the recession came, uh, I switched from my very traditional one man band accountant who'd been recommended to me by a friend of a friend when I first set up the business. And, and he was fine for a while, to be fair. 
but it soon became clear that when we started to grow that he wasn't the right person for the job and so we started to look around for a more professional team and that's where we we met you and uh, never looked back you know you and I have worked together uh, since then and and I have to say and I've said it to you you know, previously when we've done your uh, conferences together and things you you and a few others were fundamental in keeping the business going during that that time in 2008 um for, not just from a financial perspective um in terms of manage helping us manage the money but also from a, a motivational inspirational phase as well and i think that the, the point i'm making is not one to to embarrass you but i think is to get the point out there to people is that you have to surround yourself by brilliant people who not only employees, but advisors as well. So a brilliant accountant, uh, a brilliant sort of um, uh, mentor, just people that you can turn to at times of need and say, am I doing this right? And be prepared, as you said to me on, on, on a few occasions, to be told, no, you're not doing it right. And if you continue to do that in the way you're doing it, you're not going to survive this um, hump in the road. You need to look at doing something differently. And I think the biggest advice you gave me uh, at the time wasn't financial. Uh, it was more around sort of structure. And you advised me to take on a managing director, um, which without doubt was probably the most important and best decision um, that I've ever made um, in the business, I would say. Um, so we brought a managing director on in, in 2009. And uh, lucky we did, because I can absolutely hand on heart say we probably wouldn't be here now had we not. Firstly, thank you, Neil, for those really kind words. They're really very much appreciated. It's always been fun working with you and MCM and the team through you know, some of the good times and some of also those challenging times that you mentioned. And I do look back at those times and have that sympathy with you that I really do remember. They were really dark days for you, but you had that resilience. And it's so important that business owners do have that resilience to continue, that self-belief to ensure that you continue to do what was right and that was something that you did so well. And in ensuring that you do what you can do as a business and you do the things that you do and you do them well and you can have that belief that you're going to come out that other side. And you showed that in spades, Neil, in 2008, and in a moment, I would like us to explore further that role that Nikki had for the business as she became the managing director. And we'll, as I say, we'll do that in a moment. But at what point did you feel that everything that was going on was going to have an impact on you personally, Neil? And, you know, that is the wider question here that we all need to realise that as business owners, we go on a journey and we're always going on that journey and it's probably too simple to just sort of describe it as a roller coaster but it is a roller coaster in its simplest form and we're going on one of those downs or possibly a corkscrew right now of that ride and probably there's not a single business owner out there that is not worried in some shape or form of the impact this is going to have now or could have on their business or them personally yeah. So clearly there is a personal impact. And therefore, what impact has running MCM had on you as an individual, Neil? Yeah, I think um, uh, I, I think there's nowhere to hide. I, I think it's everyday um, stress. I think it's just different levels. I think some days the stress of running your own business is, is, is almost negligible. I think other days it's off the charts. 
and it's very odd how, how those things manifest because I can get still get incredibly stressed when I see a spelling mistake in a document that's gone to a client. I mean, I honestly can be off the charts with 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 stress, grief, um, and I and I and I let people know that I'm disappointed in them, um, uh, which is which is silly, really. But in a way, you know, you're trying to protect the standards that that you want to set for yourself and and for the brand and the business. But I think the biggest stress is always around money, isn't it? I think I, I think most owners of businesses would probably tell you that. I think uh, because it all comes down to money. You can be stressed about a client account and how well you're managing the client, and oh, that client's just left, so someone new's coming in. Are they going to want to use you, or are they got their own agency? But it all comes down to money because at the end of the day, you you know your running costs are what they are, and you know that you need to do X amount of work to to, to get to get that money in and. Um, yeah, of course you can save for a rainy day, and boy, oh boy, is it raining at the moment. But um, you can save for a rainy day. But but really, you know, on an ongoing daily basis, you need to have the money right. And 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 sometimes, particularly in a creative market, which is where I exist, creative people and money don't always go together. And that's why, uh, as you say, you'll touch on it later, but that's why having somebody who isn't creative running your business is the best possible thing you could have for a creative business, if that makes sense. I look back on my years of running Inspire and continuing to run Inspire, and I always say that the most significant changes in Inspire's world, and now the same goes with Evolve, as well as that when I get the ability to play to my strengths and stop trying to be everything to everybody and realize and do the things I'm really good at and things I'm passionate about I can add real value and can make a real difference and not do the things at the same time that I am weaker at and that there are others in the business far better than me to do they should do those things mm. and now clearly this is in a place in a position that you were in Neil in 2009 and I do recall those conversations about should you appoint a managing director and what would it be like to appoint a managing director? Mm. And really, we've started to reflect that you really love being the creative, coming up with the ideas that create these wonderful events, videos, content, communication strategies for your clients. And that's where you wanted and actually for the business you needed to be. So let's go make it happen. Let's go find... Uh, somebody that could do the other things in the business that were needed to be done. However, it's really easy saying that, isn't it? And there must have been lots of challenges that you faced having made that easy, perhaps, decision. So, you know, let's go appoint a managing director is easy to say, but to have the confidence and the belief to go find that individual that could fulfill that role and cover your weaknesses has to be a real challenge, Neil. So what challenges did you face and find that you had to overcome to find that person? And then when you found that person, I'm really intrigued to discuss with you that when you brought that person in, what challenges did you face personally and actually letting go? 
Yeah, well, uh, my version of the story is it was absolutely easy. But if you ask Nikki, she'll tell you it wasn't. So, um, uh, yeah, of course. No, seriously, though. Yeah, it's, it's a big decision to take. It's a big expense. Obviously, somebody who's coming in at that level is is, is going to demand a, a good salary, particularly um, in London. We're a London-based business, and, and, and that comes at a bit of a, a premium. So I looked at a couple of people who were already in our industry, and I didn't think that they were right for the role. And it actually was a bit of a light bulb moment that actually made me think, do you know what? I think I'm better off with somebody who, who actually is outside of the industry. I don't need somebody to tell me uh, necessarily how to do what we're doing. I just need somebody to come in who knows how to run a business. So we recruited uh, Nikki, as you say, uh, Nikki Milligan from, she was actually a, a client uh, of ours, actually. And, uh, you know, again, another sliding doors moment. Um, I reached out to her um, really on a, on a, on a, really but a hope and a prayer really that uh, it would be something that would interest her and I just happened to, to 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 get in touch with her at a time where she was kind of in a little bit of limbo in the role that she was doing and really kind of thinking about what to do next and for some unexplainable reason and it's probably more down to you than it was me the two of us managed to persuade her that this would be a good career move for her um, to come and shore up this ailing creative agency which was overstaffed uh, undermarged probably under-resourced client-wise but that it was a it was a, a project that that would be the making of her um and and for some reason she 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 fell for that so yeah you asked about the transition so we had i've got to say probably a fairly um eggy six months when she first joined i feel i just still genuinely genuinely feel um that i did let go in 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 good fashion um but yeah if you talk to her and, and maybe she'd be a good uh person for another podcast but if you talk to her she will say that i made it uh really really difficult and um uh, I, there wasn't a decision, Warren, that I wasn't making in that business before she came, you know, down to what type of tea bags we had, down to what pitches we'd do, down to who'd work on every, I mean, everything. And she actually couldn't believe uh, the reliance on me as an individual. And I don't think it was an ego, egotistical thing. I don't think it was that. I just think it was a culture that had developed by accident. And, and and she just said, look, I, I, she sat me down once and said, uh, she said, do you work, you know, 26 hours a day? Because I can't quite work out how you're making all these decisions on your own and trying to do your own job. It's just ridiculous. So you're going to have to give up this, this, this and this. And I was kind of saying, yeah, sure. Love it. Yeah, crack on. But she would argue, I think, and and, and she is right, that I didn't make it that easy. But and if I had my time again, I would be far more trusting of, of somebody coming in in that role. But then, you know, if you want that baby to thrive and survive, then you have to have the vision that somebody else can do a better job than you, which comes to my, you know, one of my overall added is that um, really never, ever be afraid of recruiting people better than you. Forget the ego, uh, get to the point where, that person, whether it's a creative person or like Nikki, it's someone who's actually running the business and making decisions on your behalf, relish, revel in them being better at it than you are and actually sit back and say, that's progress. Because up until now, I've had to come up with all the decisions. I've had to do all the firefighting. I've had to manage this client, that client, the other client relish in the fact that you've got people around you who are better than you at some of the things that you did 
and let them do it and let them do it in an unhindered way with the right balances and sense checks in place to make sure that mistakes aren't being made, but relish in the ability for them to shine because people are looking at you as a brand. They're not looking at you or they shouldn't be looking at you to say, oh, I wonder what Neil's going to come up with for us for our next event. It should be, what are MCM going to do? And if you can display to a client, a new client, a prospect, a real depth of talent in a business that doesn't rely on one person, and and, and that goes for the what I call the boring bits, the uh, the management, the systems and processes as well, then clients are going to feel very comfortable that you're not a one-man band. And, 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 and when you're paying a big wage bill, that's kind of what you want. That's exactly what you need. And probably this is going to be an obvious answer to a pretty obvious question. But if you had your time again, would you have appointed a managing director earlier in your journey? Or was it just right time, right place there and then? No, 100% I would do it much earlier. So just a, to a big headline, which I love quoting, is that um, we we bumbled along okay for, for seven or eight years. We, we'd made a small profit each year, nothing stellar. Um, we made more profit in the first two years that Nikki was running the business than we did in the previous eight years combined. So she absolutely uh, transformed the business. First thing she did, she said, um, we've got to let some people go. Uh, and I'd never had to do that before. So we had to make some redundancies, luckily against a backdrop, obviously, in 2009 when the world was making people redundant. So it wasn't as painful as it was. But um, she said, I need to get in front of every single one of your clients and I need to ask them to pay us 80% up front before we'll even do any work. I said, you've lost your head. I said, I, I, it's just not going to happen. No one's going to go for that. She said, well, what, what do you get in advance now? I said, we don't get anything. We bill everybody once the job's done. She said, well, that's suicide. And if you carry on doing that, you're not going to have a business. So could you line up the meetings? So I literally lined up a dozen clients. We went to see the main sort of um, client lead. And I sort of literally, <laughs> we walk in a meeting and I say, um, yeah, uh, John, um, uh, I'd like to meet Nikki. This is Nikki. And she's got something she wants to say to you. Uh, and, and Nikki would say, well, look, you know, it's not that dramatic. Blah, blah, blah. And do you know what? To a man, every single one of them turned around and said, yeah, sure. Don't know why you haven't asked before. Fine. Do it with all our other agencies. So, yeah, cool. Um, so, you know, it's just things like that, that you, you become so blinkered um, that it takes somebody to come in uh, and just, you know, beat you around a bit and say, we're doing things differently. Um, get used to it. That's an amazing statistic that you quote, Neil, of more profit in just two years than the previous eight years combined. Yeah. As I say, it's an amazing statistic. And you've got to put that in perspective that you're coming off the back of the 2008-2009 crash and at a time when you've had to rebuild the business as well. So taking all of this into account and moving things to the current day, you know, that was 11 years ago. How has the business changed, evolved, transcended since then? And where are you right now? Well, I'd rather not. I'd rather not talk about where we are right now. Yeah. So yeah, um, we, we're doing well. Uh, we're doing well. We, we we've got a very uh, respected brand in our industry. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about peer to peer recognition, but our clients love what we do. We've got a raft of very very big name clients from HSBC to Oracle to John Lewis to uh, all points in between. Some really really strong client relationships. Probably punching above our weight in some of those. Um, 
um, uh, client relationships, to be honest, for an agency of our size. We found our level. Uh, this is all pre-COVID conversation. We found our level in terms of headcount. We're about sort of 15 to 18 of us. We've got lovely offices in queue. Uh, we don't owe anyone any money. Uh, we've never in, we've never relied on investment. We've always managed to do everything out of cash. Uh, so we we're we're a very well run, proficient, uh, creative industry, and those words don't always go together in the same sentence. Uh, there's a lot of creative industries around that are very chaotic. Um, we are a very well run, creative business with fantastic systems and processes, which make the people who are employed in the business who like systems and processes. So people who deliver work for clients, people who have um, project management skills, love that about us. But equally, there's a, a smattering uh, of creativity to get people's creative juices flowing as well. So the balance is very good. Um, cash is always king. I would think probably before um, we start talking about COVID, then the business has had to evolve over the last couple of years anyway. I would say that the coronavirus has and will continue to have a massive detrimental effect on our business, our industry, before anything I've ever witnessed before. But we, well in advance of that, probably the last couple of years, recalibrated the business anyway to move to a more sort of agile digital focus. Um, I've pretty much always felt that in some sectors, the appetite for sort of large events and conferences was beginning to wane anyway. I think people were looking to travel less, fly less, carbon footprint. So we were starting to see that. So we've pivoted anyway to delivering more online uh, solutions to people. And the events that we do are all pretty much internal events. We don't do parties and, and, and festivals, things like that. It's, it's, it's events that people are told they need to be at. So businesses are, are, have started to slow down a little bit on that. So we've responded to that. So that's probably put us into some quite good shape for now. So I think, yeah, pre-COVID, I would say that we are brilliantly efficient, brilliantly creative. Um, and I think those are two things that you can you can really leverage very, very well in our sector. So clearly still very passionate about your industry and your business and in what you do. So I suppose the critical question for the listeners is how have you maintained that passion in your industry and in your business over the years, Neil? I'm not sure I have, to be honest, Warren. I think it, it comes and goes, if I'm honest. I, I, I'm not one of these people, if you interviewed me for the Sunday Times, who said he was up at five o'clock every morning, and that I'd rather have a lion, to be honest. But um, I, I, I think the energy comes for me from projects. So going back to right at the beginning of the conversation where I said that the, the PR industry I found very difficult to work in um, because I saw no end to what I was doing. I thrive on project by project work. So if somebody gives me a task to do and I can get a clear beginning, middle and end, boom, I'm on it. And and, and that, that keeps my energy going. And I think that that's magnified, obviously, for my role within a project, because I might only be doing one small part of it. But seeing something from a sketch on a piece of paper to final delivery in front of a thousand people or whatever it might be uh, at, at an event or a film that we've sort of done as a storyboard come to life and, and be viewed and, and things is, is, is where I get my kick. It's, it's that, um, that ability to just see something, have a vision, uh, work out how to deliver it, uh, deliver it. And, and, and obviously for Nikki's point of view, make some money out of it along the way. 
So uh, there are days when finding that energy, finding that motivation after doing the same thing for pretty much 20 years is exhausting. Um, and it's exhausting when you spot a spelling mistake that somebody's done, or it's exhausting when a client says to you, ah, you know, that project we were thinking of doing next month or the three months time. Yeah, it's, it's gone away. And, and all of those things suck the life out of you. And, and I defy anybody um, to say that owning a business puts a smile on your face every day because it doesn't. There are days when it is absolutely rank running your own business. And uh, I've had those days and it can be trivial stuff that brings you down. I think the important thing is not to let your team get too much of that vibe from you still go out with your game face on um but there are days obviously where it's the most amazing feeling in the world to land a bit of business deliver a little bit of business and uh, that's what keeps us all going gets us out of bed every day and paints a smile on your face whether from time to time it's a slightly false one i guess yep i would definitely agree with that and there are a lot of business owners out there that talk about in a kind of rah-rah kind of fashion and commentators that say it's all about the hustle, hustle and hustle. And the, the reason uh, I'm passionate about what we do at Evolve is that we talk about holistic success, trying to get that right balance, which I've found has really been really important for me between personal and business success. But that's something really easier said than done in reality. Uh, so when you hit those low moments and do shut the office door, get in your car and you're on your way home, Neil, how do you find that energy and how do you rejuvenate yourself and how do you find that switch? Yeah, I think I think it's just a big switch that I switch off. And, and, and I think that's that's been my ability Certainly since, you know, what we talk about MCM 2.0, which is probably the, the, the business that Nikki's been in and running. So that's taken a lot of, of pressure off, off me. So I do find an ability to just get home and, and, and not, uh, worry about things too much. Obviously, if there are deadlines and you've got to, you know, you've got to get something out the door, then that's different. But no, I find it very easy, actually, Warren. And I think that would be, you know, my, my biggest tip to anybody was, you know, I mean, everybody knows the phrase now, don't sweat the small stuff. And, 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 and if you, if you sweat six bits of small stuff, it suddenly becomes quite big. So, um, yeah, switching off has, has, has been really easy. I, I like my sport. I play a lot of, a lot of tennis. I, I watch a lot of football, as you know. So I, I just find it easy to do that and then, and, and then regroup on, on, on Monday morning or, or whatever day of the week, week it is. And, and I think um, maybe if you can't do that, maybe running, running your own business, possibly isn't for you because i think it is a great skill set to be able to switch off uh, and 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 not to be seen as 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 light for doing that as lightweight for doing that you say all the you know some of the the the, the, the gurus the rah-rah and things like that it, a lot of that is is bs in, in in my opinion i think a lot of it uh really you, you you've got to be yourself because um you're a long time dead and, 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 and why are we, why are we doing this anyway? Why are we doing the, 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 the business, uh, the running our own businesses? We're doing it for that ability to dip in and dip out. Now, obviously at times like these, there's not much dipping out, but you've got to do it. And, and, uh, I, I went through a period of not working on Fridays. Best thing I've ever done. Best thing I've ever done. Never felt so refreshed, positive, energized uh, by going down to a four-day week. Unfortunately, it didn't last that long. I do wonder, Neil, and I, perhaps you found that actually you're as productive in four days as you had previously been 
in five. And I've heard other business owners talk about that in that actually you've got the energy. So, you know, in four days, you still get a lot done and achieved. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I can't. It seems a long time ago now. It was only a few years ago, but uh, and, and I can't actually remember what it was that triggered that uh, that I needed to come back in five days a week. But uh, that was great if you can find a way to do that. And a couple of mates of mine who run their own businesses have copied that and, and found it a really valuable thing. They got uh, uh, they got some inspiration from me doing that. Uh, if you can do it, then that's the sort of thing that I think you should be able to reward yourself for as being that owner the owner manager. Uh, some people run it as a life, the business is a lifestyle business. No question about that at all. No criticism about that at all. If you can take as much money as you can out of the business and, and support your lifestyle, brilliant. I think if you can run it, so you only work four days a week, brilliant. If you can get down to three days a week, whatever, if you sell it after five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, all of those things are the values that you, Warren, myself, the other people that you've had on this podcast, that's the value that you get through running your own business. Now, equally, at the moment, it feels like the absolute worst place to be. It's actually the epitome of all those things. It's about having a purpose. It's about knowing why you're running a business in the first place. It's knowing what good looks like for you. That is what I think is really, really important in business. And why are you doing what you're doing? Why did you start the business? What did you want to achieve as an individual from it? And ensuring that you have that purpose and that focus and knowing what good times are going to look like, because they are different for each and one of us. We're all different. And again, there's, um, there's a lot of what's out there is that we're all the same. We all want the same thing. Well, that's not true. That's as you would possibly put it. Neil, BS, we're all different as human beings and therefore... As human beings that run businesses, as long as we understand our purpose and our objective and it, and we understand what that is and we set about achieving that, then that's a great definition of success to me. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and I think it's never been easier for people. Well, uh, I caveat that with obviously where we are in the world today, but I don't think it's ever been easier for people to set up their own businesses. The, the, the language of owning your own business has never been written so so fluently. Um, if I'd have turned to my careers teacher when I was at school and said I wanted to be an entrepreneur, she'd have had to look it up in the dictionary. Uh, you know, she she wouldn't have had a clue what I was talking about. So I think I, I think the assets podcasts like this, the work that you're doing with Evolve, people like you encouraging people to take that step. That didn't exist even 20 years ago when I when I started. So I think there's never been uh, a better time to, uh, to, to, to take that leap of faith. But I think you're right. And I think having a plan is not just about having a business plan. That's probably what you need to take to the bank or to someone like you, to an accountant or something. But you need to have a plan about why you want to own your own business. And it's not about the fact that you only want to work one day a week and you don't want to go into work till half 10 or, or, or whatever. Those days could come. Um, but as soon as you employ people, you need to set an example. So if you get in at half 10, can they get in at half 10? Um, so, so it comes with some responsibilities, but equally for the right person, it's not for everyone, but for the right person, it is possibly the most rewarding, uh, satisfying set of working parameters that you can possibly find, given that you will have days where it absolutely feels like the worst decision you've ever made. Yeah, definitely. So 
Let's bring ourselves right to the present day, and it would be wrong on this podcast not to comment, given all that is happening, on the situation with regard to COVID-19. And I think you've alluded to it, Neil, already. But again, if we could just touch on what the effect, perhaps in the next couple of minutes, you know, the the effects that COVID-19 is having on your business. Whew, a couple of minutes. <laughs> How long have you got? Um, well, it's yeah. I mean, as anybody uh, anybody listening to this can probably start to work out, uh, the the live events industry has 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 fallen by the wayside, and no one uh, is putting people together in a room in a conference venue for a long time to come. And it'll be a very brave business that decides to tell four hundred, three hundred, a thousand of its staff to all turn up at the NEC on a Tuesday for a, a senior leadership conference. It'll be, it'll be a very brave business to be the, the, the first to go out of the traps, as it were. So, yeah, we, we, we've got to be realistic. We've lost a, a huge amount of revenue completely now, having to to recalibrate the the figures and and, and where we're going to be this year. I mentioned earlier that luckily uh, we had already started to sort of recalibrate a little bit around sort of online. So like you, you know, we're doing uh, podcasts, but we're doing the commercially. So we're, we're, we're kind of doing, uh, we're making money out of it. So we're providing those kind of services into our clients. We're doing a lot more film work for clients. Just yesterday, I was delivering um, a live event for uh, for HSBC to a thousand employees all around the world. I was the presenter for that from my back bedroom here with a camera and green screen set up, and we were giving out awards all over the country, all over the world. I was talking to people in Dubai and Hong Kong and things like that, and that's great. So we can do a lot of that. It doesn't add up in by any means financially to the same levels of revenue as putting people into into venues but we'll 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 do okay we'll 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 cope with that we will not be the same business when restrictions get lifted because i don't think they'll be lifted in such a way that makes it easy for people to as i say decide to put another event on i think that will come eventually but it might be a year away so um i think we've got some long hard thoughts to have around uh, what our levels of recruitment or, or retention of staff is going to be um whether we need the office that we've got we've all proven to ourselves now that we can work fairly efficiently from home we're all very tired of it if i do one more zoom call I'm ready to punch the person who suggests it, but you know that's that's what we've got to do. You know, I start every meeting now rather than saying hello to people. My greeting now universally is, "Can you hear me?" And it's tiresome, and and I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I'm so missing face to face meeting, shaking hands. You know, all those things that we've sort of just taken for granted for so long. I am. Um, oh yeah, I just couldn't agree with you more. I've built a career and a business around human interaction and relationships. I mean, that's effectively what professional services is. It's being around people, it's listening to people, it's building those relationships. And I, like you, are just so desperate for that human interaction and contact again. Yeah. To begin with, Zoom and Microsoft team calls all seemed a bit exciting and different. But it can soon become quite tiresome. I agree with you, Neil. Yeah. You realize that you are having interaction and you can deliver the advice in our world, but you're not being human and you're not truly interacting on a human to human level. 
And part of our business actually uh, moving forward is actually trying to make those Zoom calls much better. So we are doing sort of Zoom on steroids. I mean, effectively, we're using Zoom as the platform for people to be able to dial in and link in. But we've got some fantastic uh, software and, and technicians who are now sort of turning Zoom into a television program, effectively. So, but but we, but from a con, that's a technical point of view and of course LinkedIn and other places are full of people saying that they're online sort of uh, virtual event experts but what we're also doing is looking at what the content is so what are we doing to engage people outside of a webcam and a, and a bit of video you know what are we doing what are we talking to them about on behalf of our clients obviously what are we what, what are you wanting them to hear how are you going to say it what are we going to use to say it and, and 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 tiny little things that you can do to make people feel as though they're having some influence over what it is that they're watching on that broadcast or narrow cast, whatever you want to call it. Something that makes it feel as though they've had a contribution rather than just sat watching a, a constant sort of outpouring of, of content from three or four presenters in their kitchen, study, back bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. So we're working hard with some clients on that and, and the, the uptake is, is high. Um, uh, I almost fear possibly for the, the hybrid um, that we could end up. We could end up half going back to work, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure what that looks like, and, and people trying to do half things. So you'll end up with three people who are in a place of work trying to talk to three people who are on a call and things like that, so that, that that could get messy. At the moment, the rules are quite clear, and I quite like that. I quite like that lack of ambiguity. You know, We can't have a meeting. You can't come to my office. We have to do it like this. So, what what solution do we put in place? And I worry a little bit that um, the ambiguity of a of a of a freeing up of the lockdown. You'd think I'd be desperate for the lockdown to finish, but actually, I'm not. Unless it's a very clean finish and everybody think everything goes back to normal, and it clearly won't happen. It's a really good point, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. A lot of smaller businesses have been slow to adopt Zoom, Teams, and other similar communication technology, and it was only really uh, in, when I think about the cases of our clients and clients and how we've used it ourselves, it was only if distance made it impossible that you did use that sort of comms technology. Yeah. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about it, but you've got me really worried now about this kind of halfway house situation. <laughs> I think one of the things that, that one of the positives, if I can look for a positive in this, um, is that I pretty much built my business up, like you were saying, you know, about sort of networking, not networking like LinkedIn and stuff like that, but actually really sort of talking to people. And I, one thing I've grown to really miss over the last sort of few years is the art of the phone call. I, I think I, well, I know that you know my business growth in the first decade was pretty much driven by me talking to clients, prospects, and suppliers daily. You know, twice a day, possibly just keeping in touch, often chatting about nothing. You know, chatting about their work and 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 just creating that feeling of always being around for them. But as the world has progressed, of course, um, and I, I I don't want to sound like a like, you know, too old and stuck in the past, but uh, because I'm a great exponent of technology, as you know, I love my love my gadgets and technology. But I feel the the art of the phone call had certainly declined over the past decade or so, and the reliance on email um, does frustrate me at times. I think it can be a very lazy way to communicate. And in, in fact, before the um, the lockdown, about a month before, we instigated No Mail Monday in the agency where we weren't we weren't allowed to send emails out on a Monday. We had to operate on phone calls only. Obviously, people were able to email us, um, but we encouraged staff where we could, where they could, where it's appropriate, obviously, to instigate a conversation. 
and, and and that worked really well actually we had a little um a little footer on the bottom of our email saying hey it's monday we'll call you and and, and that was quite fun but obviously that's been curtailed by the, the lockdown process but what i have noticed um in the lockdown process is that people have got a little bit more time and they are actually up for chatting and the number of zoom calls which is just another way of doing a phone call i suppose all the number of phone calls i've had where we've started talking about life in lockdown and actually that's taken up the majority of the 30 minute call and then we've suddenly realized oh hang on a minute we're here to talk about a bit of work as well so let's chuck that in so and that would never have happened pre-covid because the world was turning on an axis that was far too fast no one had any time we talk about in the agency we talk about something called white space which is encouraging people to take time out to think about the project they're working on or the meeting that they're about to go into um, or the meeting that they've just come out of we discourage in the agency back-to-back hour-long meetings we try and pin our meetings to 45 minutes so people have 15 minutes to re regroup um, and we've tried to launch that into some clients. It hasn't really landed because I think most of our clients are quite big and, and you need that to come right from the top. But what we have done is bring it into what we had done, sorry, um, before the changes is, um, is bring it into our conference agenda. So we were putting agendas together. And if you, I don't know, you obviously go to a lot of conferences, Warren, and, and a lot of the listeners will as well. Your conference agenda ends up being exactly the same as your normal day agenda. So the CEO is going to speak from nine to nine 30, then at nine 30, one the cfo is going to talk from 9 30 to, to 10 and then at 10 o'clock you're going to do their 10 30 you're going to do that and it's just constant so we've put into we force clients to say we're not going to do that if you've got a 20 minute presentation do it in five, 15 and give people five minutes to think about it so we've brought white space into our conference agendas and that's worked quite well and and i think this has slowed us down a little bit i think uh there are still clients of mine who are back to back on zoom calls and and you hear them moaning about that in the same way as they were moaning about being back to back on real life meetings but um there does it does feel as though we've slowed down a little bit and i think that's a good thing and i think if that can can carry through into the world of work whatever that looks like in in a month's time three months time a year's time then that will be a good outcome of of this and i think on a personal basis i think we've all become a little bit more neighborly a little bit more caring uh, and i think we've learned to value things that um, do you remember that graph that that i showed you at a conference i presented at once that you you, you very kindly re- reproduced in in your book sort of around the values of things values of the values of items before you have them whilst you've got them and then when you haven't got them and of course it's a classic kind of up down up chart and i and i think you know missing face-to-face meetings whoever thought we'd miss that whoever thought we'd miss hugging someone shaking hands whoever thought we'd miss going to the pub all things that were unimaginably secure in our day-to-day psyche have just been pulled from us and i i do believe that as and when none of us know what we're going back to but when we go back to it i think we'll all be sort of slightly better people for it i hope so anyway let's hope so i do love that concept neil of white space it's going to be one of those thoughts that i'm going to carry around with me now mm-hmm. i love that i agree we all spin too quickly too often for way too long and actually even in the present moment i mean it's something that's been said lots and it's a well coined phrase but We've just got to remember this transition is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And like I say, it's well coined, but it's so true. I started seven, eight weeks ago now trying to sprint my way through this. 
Mm-hmm. And I realized all I was going to do was burn myself out yep. and not actually take the time needed to have the necessary reflection and reset. And that was clearly that reset, in my opinion, is probably going to be needed for many of us, both at a personal and a business level. And you've got to take the time to do that. But it's you and I and people like us, Warren, that have some responsibility for the people that we employ to give them the opportunity, forget COVID, forget post-COVID, pre-COVID. It's it's us as business owners who are dictating the pace that we run our businesses at and ergo the pace that people perform within those businesses. And sure, you know, you've got a very busy April, May, June because that's the end of the tax year. I've got a very busy blah, blah, blah because I need to deliver a live event. And if I have to work until nine o'clock at night or somebody has to do a presentation until until seven in the evening or get in the office at seven, that's fine. But that shouldn't be the norm. And And you and I and people listening to this who own their own businesses have some responsibility to make sure that we're not copying what other people are doing and burning out and tiring people and making them work too hard too often uh and 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 we have some responsibility towards that absolutely well said neil clearly doing what you do you are a communication expert and communication is something that most in business and most businesses do struggle with and getting that communication right so what Neil, would be your tips around communication with your team right now in these challenging times? Because clearly it's harder right now to communicate with your teams. Yeah, we've got um, we've got two avenues really. So in in the real world, and we were all in the office. There's only I don't know, 15, 16 of us in the business, but it doesn't matter. This is scalable. But uh, in the real world, we had every we did, we had something called the huddle. Every morning, we would stand in the office, all of us. There'd be uh, one person would be the huddle host. So it would be a, a, a once a month or twice a month. You'd you'd be the huddle host, and you'd have to come up with a question. Could be a completely trivial question. Could be a fun question. Could be something that's triggered your imagination on your journey into the office or whatever. And you'd be the huddle host, and 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 you'd go around the huddle asking people the question and asking them what they were doing for the day. And it just gives everybody a ten minute sort of stand up meeting just to you know, get energized and we have a laugh and you learn things about people, particularly if the question's slightly left of field. So we, from day one of lockdown, carry that on, on, uh, on teams. We run, we run Microsoft teams. So uh, everybody had a webcam or we got a webcam for people who didn't. And uh, so we did the huddle on, we do the huddle every day now on online, uh, which is a bit of fun. So someone's the huddle host and they go around and say, right, I'm going to go to Neil now. Neil, what's your answer? Blah, blah, blah. So that's good. And that keeps everybody abreast of what we're doing day to day. Uh, obviously, the people that we've furloughed, they've got an option of joining it for fun if if, if they want or not. And uh, the rest of us are keeping in touch, obviously, on that in terms of so today, my focus is to get this done, that done, this done, that done. And also a way of just updating people on some new business. We've picked up a couple of new clients over the last couple of weeks, which has been fantastic. So um, we've had some people who've been quite attracted to some of the digital offerings that we've been doing, the the uh, the zoom on steroids I described that's not what we call it but that's kind of gives everybody a vision so we picked up some clients we've been able to tell them about it and and, and things like that so we do that uh, and the other thing is I've been running a, a series of um, uh, virtual pub quizzes I know a lot of people are doing that now I started off doing that literally from the first Friday of lockdown and uh, put a bit of effort into it, it it's it's multimedia and it's fun there's music and blah 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 um, 
So we roll that out for the for for the the MCM team and their families uh, in the middle of the week. So we do one sort of private one for friends and families. We had about 50, 60 people, maybe more than that, hundred people playing it a couple of weeks ago, and um, and we roll that out for 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 the team. So that's a fun way midweek, you know, bring your own booze, obviously, and um, and friends and family can join that as well. So that's that's fun. So that's really what we're doing. Just obviously, you're keeping in touch day to day because you're working on projects. But outside of that, yeah, it's um, it's it's the the elements of just making people feel as though they're very involved. Nikki has always been fantastic, far better at me than being honest and open about where we are as a business. I used to always keep that from people. I always used to think, oh, they don't know that we haven't got any money. They don't need to know that we haven't got any money this month. And it's going to be a struggle um but actually she's very um she's very open and honest so she tells everybody you know who needs to know where we are what the work in progress is where we are financially just to give people that confidence that um she and i can't take any credit for it that she has uh, run the business in such a way that i mentioned earlier about the rainy day that we're in okay shape to to see ourselves through this and and that's what people want to know um, particularly when they've been furloughed or whether the work's dried up so they're only maybe doing 3 days a week they just want to know that you're you're there doing all the right things to 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 keep the business in the right space I agree. And what a great way to end the podcast. Neil, it's great to have had this conversation with you. I always enjoy us catching up on our conversations or chit chat, as Nikki likes to tease us when we do get together and we talk about football and all those other things that happen in life. Football. I remember that. If um, people do want to learn more about you, about MCM, where can they go, Neil? Yeah, we've got the world's least in-depth website, uh, deliberately, but uh, love people looking at that. It, it It's a bit Marmite, uh, so it divides opinion, but uh, I've got some strong opinions on, on it. So that's at uh, all the W's, MCM, Creative Group. Dot com and i'm on twitter if people still use that neil crespin uh c-r-e-s-p-i-n that's the most common mistake that people just get the surname a bit wrong and can't find me and the same on linkedin uh so yeah happy to uh welcome anybody who'd like to know a little bit more uh, about what we do uh but equally uh any friend of warren's is a friend of mine I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Neil as much as I did. His views on creative thinking and that skill of recruiting the right people to do the job, as well as learning to recognize your strengths and your weaknesses and delegate accordingly, were really valuable and pertinent lessons for any business owner. In the same way that I'm passionate about essence, spirit and beliefs, I also love what he said about the importance of having values and sticking to them no matter what the circumstances. So, if you haven't already done so, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and sign up for free. That free membership to, to be part of the community gives you access to great content, events, webinars, as well as a supportive network of business owners. I'd also like to remind you of the COVID-19 Resources Centre at evolvemembers.com, which has been set up to inform, support and inspire you during the current crisis. Please also remember that inspireaccountants.co.uk also carries everything you need to know about the financial, funding and taxation issues together with government support during the current crisis. As ever, both Evolve and Inspire are here to support you and make sure that you come out of this current situation as strong, as wiser and as more inspired both in your personal and professional life. 
We've also got some great webinars and other announcements coming soon. So please do keep an eye on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram for more information. Thank you again for listening. Please do rate and subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, from all of the Evolve team, please stay safe.